Welcome to the Nurse Surgery Podcast. I'm Mike Wang, and I'm here with my co-host, J.P. Colson. We are here to discuss all things neurosurgical. Hi, this is J.P. Colson, a resident in neurosurgery at Rush University. Please note that this is not a CME event, and the opinions and statements made in this podcast do not reflect those of any institution or professional organization. Now, let's get started. So today's topic is surviving the oral boards. Uh, our guest today is Alan Levy. He's not only the chair of neurosurgery at the University of Miami and my boss, but he's also been running the AANS Goodman Oral Boards course for a long time. Alan, welcome to the Nurse Review Podcast. Thank you for the invitation. So shameless plug, we are in the uh, midst of oral board season again, and the Goodman course is basically essential for folks getting ready and trying to maximize their odds of getting and uh, passing uh, ABNS certification. So tell us a little bit about the history of this course and your involvement in it. Well, the, the history of, of the course dates back to 1997, uh, and that's when uh, Dr. Julius Goodman of Indiana uh, developed the concept of case-based learning. Um, he, he felt that there was a need to, to help people get through the oral board process. He wanted to make the course interesting and felt that the best way for people to learn is to go through uh, a case-based approach. So he uh, approached uh, eventually the, the AANS and said, uh, give, us, uh, give me your support in moving forward this and I'll make it a, a successful endeavor. And so the first course was in 1997. I think there was about 35 uh, people who took the course and maybe 11 faculty. Fast forward to uh, 2019, uh, and there's usually about 150 or 160 people who take the course and about 35 faculty. Wow. Wow. And before the course, how did people get ready for this? Uh, they would they would do it on their own. Uh, there there was something called the Osler course that some people used to take and and rely on on uh, the mentorship of uh, their their faculty when uh, they were residents. So that was I think the basis for many people getting uh, ready for the oral board. I mean I I can think back to when I took the exam and I think that anybody who's gone through this preparation process has it like burned on their brain and I still remember that. The, the Western Gallery Mall, I think it was. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I, the people were just traumatized. I mean, these, these badass neurosurgeons are like, I mean, literally crying. And, uh, you know, you take that the course, right? It's like three days, the Goodman course. And then you sit around and wait for exam. And my exam was on Friday. So I was there for like two extra days just waiting and like shopping in the mall and spent a ton of money there. And then I'd hear back from my buddies on the Wednesday and Thursday saying, wow, you're not going to believe what they asked me. And you're just getting like triggered and traumatized. And by the time Friday came, I was like so over it. And that was, that was like, you know, that was really hard. And, and I hear there's like a new exam format that people are even more anxious about. Can you, can you like tell us about what that is? So yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, there's no doubt that that the 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 whole process is anxiety provoking. You're you're right, and 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 the the value of the course stems from being able to get in there uh, and see over 200 questions over the three day process, answer them yourself, watch your colleagues answer them, and it just sort of gets you into the rhythm of of the the oral board uh, process. Uh, you, you took the exam probably 15 or so years ago. That was when it was back in, in, in Houston. Now it's moved to Phoenix, um, and it's, again, still done twice a year. Uh, but the process has changed somewhat. 
uh, and that uh, started in 2017. Uh, it used to be uh, that uh, people would have a three-hour exam, two examiners per hour, and it used to be uh, cranial, spine, and other. Each hour was 60 minutes, um, and you typically answer six questions. As of 2017, um, the, the exam has now come completely standardized. Everybody gets asked the same question. Uh, and so the, exam, the examiners come to the exam with the questions given to them. The first hour is in general neurosurgery with a uh, tendency to be questions that you would see if you were on call for the emergency department. Um, and that could include uh, an epidural uh, abscess in the spine or, or uh, intracranial hemorrhage, et cetera. And then in the second hour, uh, you, you let the ABNS know whether you are a generalist, and if, if you are, then you'll get a second hour of general neurosurgery questions. And if you are a specialist, as in spine or endovascular, that second hour will be a, a more focused uh, questioning in your area of practice or expertise. And, and the people asking you questions will be specialists in your area. So in, in spine, uh, you, you will have... Um, highly uh, regarded, nationally acclaimed uh, spine surgeons asking you questions. Uh, and then and finally, in the third hour, which is really uh, making it uh, quite different than when you took the exam, Mike, is that it is um, a, basically a case-based defense of your cases that you accrued in your first year of practice. In fact, your first 125 cases are submitted to the ABNS through something called POST, and those cases are then reviewed by ABNS examiners, and they end up selecting 10 for you to defend, and you basically defend five of those cases during a 45-minute process in your, in your third hour. That sounds like hell. <laughs> Mine is 10 years away. I'm already worried. <laughs> so, but they tell you the 10 cases, right? Like they tell you the 10 cases, yeah, they tell you which 10 that you will be potentially asked, and then you defend five. Wow, so do you think under this, like, is this harder than it used to be, or easier? Like, it, I mean, it's different, obviously. It's different. I, I tell you, how do you measure hard or easy? Uh, it, one way of doing it is, is looking at the failure rate. So the first time that they uh, changed the exam in, in the uh, spring of 2017, uh, the failure weight rate went up to about 21% from its typical 15%. Mm. It, it's now gone through uh, five iterations. We're, we're now uh, in 2019, and the failure rate's gone down to uh, about the 15% rate again. So I, I would say it's the, the failure rate's the same, even though the exam is new. Uh, and the process of getting ready is similar. I think that one of the pushes for changing the exam is that the ABNS really wants you to prepare for questions that are real life, things that you are likely to see in your practice. I think that some people felt that in the previous iteration that you'd be asked questions that you would never really take care of. Uh, and so th th this is part of the reason. They want to do it real life, but they also want to... So less brachial plexus is what you're saying. <laughs> less brachial plexus, but that doesn't mean you're not responsible for peripheral nerves. So it wouldn't be unheard of that you might get a, you know, a uh, radial nerve laceration that came through the ER and you'd have to be prepared to take care of it.
So in that third portion, when you're reviewing your first 120 cases, what would you say is the philosophy of the examiners in selecting those 10 cases you might have to defend? Great question. That's a, that's a really good question. So, yeah, they're, they're looking for cases that they feel uh, may have a weak indication. They're looking for cases that might have a, a serious uh, or unusual complication. Sometimes they'll pick cases simply because they were uh, uh, unusual or had a good result. Um, they, they will pick cases also uh, based on um, uh, uh, potentially coding errors. Uh, they will pick cases if they feel like you don't have uh, a good uh, follow-up in a particular case. So those are some of the reasons why they, they may pick selected cases. Weak indications or complications, I think, would be the, the, the two most commonest scenarios. Okay. Well, I, you know, I know people are real anxious about this. Uh, any change, of course, brings anxiety on something as important as this. But, um, you know, I remember when I trained under Steve Giannata, he would tell us these stories when he was head of ABNS about uh, people who, I mean, I think there was like an attempted suicide and like crazy stuff when people didn't show up for their exam. And just, just I mean, this is back in, the, I think, the 1980s, right? And I know your perspective is a little bit different. You, you, you have a different view of these folks because you get to see them in three days before the exam, right? Right. And so you must see all kinds of like, I mean, the, the examiners, you know, they get the, the sanitized person all done up in a suit. You get to see like the person in preparation, right? Right. So without identifying anybody, tell us like, like, like a horror story about what happened during the, during the Goodman course. A horror story about what happened during the Goodman course. Um, you know, there hasn't been that many horror stories. I, you're definitely seeing people in at their worst. They're very nervous. Um, and that's our job is to, to make them less nervous and sort of provide them information. Is there a psychiatrist uh, on site? We have, we have no psychiatrist. <laughs> we, we, we all act as sort of semi-psychiatrists. And I got to tell you, I, I'm fortunate I don't have a great horror story for you, but I will tell you on the up and up positive side, everybody who I've ever seen who takes the course and then takes the exam and then I run into them in the hallway at the AANS or, or something, they're always so appreciative. And I think that's what uh, has myself and, and the people who are so important, the faculty, in helping to teach the course that drives them to, to come back and, and give back and, and help their brethren. Yeah, you uh, definitely had a big impact on a lot of folks. But what about like a faculty member that just, just completely like psychologically traumatized in it? Like an enrollee, there must have been some. Oh, so right? yeah, I mean, and and the people who take the course, they they, they give us feedback. So there, we we try to emulate the exam as much as possible, um, and we uh, we we try to sort of have poker faces and not give a lot of feedback. Uh, I can tell you one uh, guy that now I remi remember, one of our faculty who shall be na nameless, um, who was who examining someone uh, who uh, presented with a chordoma, uh, and uh, he, he wanted that patient to answer, uh, you, you know, basically to say to do an on-block resection. Uh, you know, do a biopsy, find out what it is, and then do an on-block resection. Obviously, this was a lower sacral uh, tumor, not a clival tumor. Pretty hard to do an on-block resection in the clivus. Uh, anyways, he was asking the person the question, and, and they weren't going there. 
and 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 he's just getting for so uh, frustrated. He uh, he all he all of a sudden blurts out, "You just killed the patient!" And and the person <laughs> was not what they want to hear before they're preparing, you know, getting prepared for the board exam. I think I know who you're talking about, but I'm going <laughs> to refrain from identifying. Well, so I mean, you you get all I mean, you get hundreds of people coming to the course each time, twice a year, right? Right. What do you what's like the most common deficiency? I mean, we used to always use the brachial plexus, the brachial plexus, or mm-hmm. like if you had to just like. Think about like in one general area, like what are people not doing, or, or how they're studying, or how I mean, you know? I think uh, you know back in the day when you were really responsible for every aspect of neurosurgery, we would always say the the three P's, which are peds, pain, and peripheral nerve. I mean, those are the mm. the areas that most adult neurosurgeons are 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 far away from. But you know the way that the new exam is, it's really tailored to be uh, you know. What you would see in 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 daily uh, in daily practice, or if you're covering the ER or doing a locum, so so that is I think a bit uh, less of an issue than it was in the past. Is there like an area that people are always prepared in? They should just not focus on that. Like every, like ninety nine percent of people are good at this, and so just don't even bother. Like, I would say no. I think that you know you need to cover all gamuts. But I think one of the the things that I, I don't know if everybody realizes is one is knowledge base, and and uh, it's good to be prepared in a general way for this exam. But what really the again the strength of the course is that you come and you get your style. Uh, you get the the way you feel comfortable in answering questions. And again, seeing your colleagues and how they do it, you may pick up aspects of how they answer questions. So that's really half the battle. It's like developing a systemic or systematic way of answering these questions. So it's, it's content, but also style. And so that's, again, what you, you can get from the course. Is there any reason to take this course, you know, if you're not getting ready for boards? Like, do you see people like emeritus professor of neurosurgery coming to hang out and, and, and you know, refresh? Well, you know, I think it's a great idea for, uh, uh, to, 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 a great way to learn. And we occasionally will see people take the course three or four times before the exam. Mm. That's probably a little excessive. Certainly people who fail come back and take the course. Uh, and we've occasionally had chief residents come just, again, to get a feeling for what they're going to be, uh, you know, responsible for. Uh, I, I think it's a great way to learn uh, uh, neurosurgery and the, and the current concept. So uh, at some point, I would love to see this generalized to, to senior or chief residents or possibly as a way of uh, maintaining competence. Now, just for the audience members who've never done it, this is an exam that there actually are wrong answers on, right? So I'm shameless plug. You know, you've you've written a great book. Uh, what, it's, what's it called? Uh, it's called the Goodman Oral Board Book, I think. <laughs> Goodman Oral Board. It's good, like good reading, right? Good. It's it's it seems I you know I have a copy. It seems like it's really uh, really helpful. I I would encourage people to go out and buy it. And, take a look at it yeah. find if it on you, Amazon if, anywhere you get books yeah, Amazon or if you come and take the course we give you a copy free okay so I'm going to ask you for some advice that, that is going to come up but I'm sure um, it's sensitive it's mm-hmm. sensitive so let's say that I have just failed the oral boards right okay so I failed and um, what, what should I do like I mean you know, I'm sure you must get like emails and phone calls every six months from a set of people that are like Hey, 
Alan, what, what do I do now? Dr. Levy, what do I do? Well, I mean, the first thing is to regroup. Know that you're in good company, that 15% of the people who take the exam actually fail. So it, it is, it is, um, it, it happens. Um, and the, the next step would be to try to figure out why you failed. Uh, it, was it because of your uh, knowledge base in the hour one or hour two? Uh, and if so, then it would be a matter of, of studying more in that area. I've had people who have failed and have told me it was, ba uh, on the recent version, it was based on their cases. Uh -huh. uh, and so how they got that, I don't know if they got that from... Uh, just saying, oh, I, I just got the feeling that that was the problem. I, obviously, the examiners know because they, re, they convene during the exam and they, they discuss candidates who are on the edge. So that, that there is usually a defined reason. So it's either hour one or hour two or your cases. Um, early versions of the revised exam, there was a little bit higher failure rate based on your own cases. So if it's hour one or hour two, it's a matter of sort of preparing more in those areas, whether general or your focus practice. If it's hour three, which is your own cases, you do have an opportunity to resubmit new cases. Because uh, okay, I was going to say, you keep the same cases again and again, you're going to get the same response, right? right? So, yeah. so you have that, you have an opportunity to do both. You can, you can go based on your prior cases, but if, if it doesn't seem like that's fixable, there is an opportunity to resubmit new cases. Now, let me just add that neither you nor I, and I don't think you're, you're able to, right, because it's conflict, to represent the A, B, and S, right? We're just, we're talking just as people who have some knowledge about So, so I'm glad you brought that up. We've always kept a distance uh, from, from the A, B, and S. In fact, anybody who does uh, the exam as an oral board examiner uh, through the A, B, and S cannot participate the, in the course for about five years. Uh, when we do the course, uh, we, we've been in touch with the ABNS, and th they would like us not to have the candidates present the cases that they will be defending. Oh, so uh, I can't bring my cases to you and you say, Alan, how do you sanitize this for me? Correct. It looks really bad. Correct. So, uh, and so we keep a arm's length distance. At the same time, we can definitely provide value uh, in preparing you for hour one and hour two. And in our third day of the course, we actually have uh, case-based defenses, but not of cases that people are bringing to the oral board exam. Who, who, who does that? Like, who, like, like, do I pretend as a faculty member to, to do a really lousy job or something and then so get up there and defend myself? Or? Funny you ask. So uh, uh, about a year or so ago, we said, let's do that. Let's have the faculty defend their cases. Uh, and it turns out that a lot of the faculty are several years from taking the exam. And they, they the, the people taking the course felt that that wasn't really a good example of how people get burnt on the on the oral board. So since that time, what we've done is we've taken people who are recent graduates who have just sort of passed the oral board exam, have real life experience that's maybe only six or 12 months old, and have them defend their cases. And that was felt to be a more accurate representation of, of how it works. But they all passed, right? So maybe they didn't have any cases that would look really bad, right? <laughs> well, I mean, can't you have faculty that failed and like, wouldn't they have shed more light on this? They probably would. They probably would. Uh, again, we, we may go to that at uh, some point as, the, as this new version becomes more uh, established. But certainly, I think that everyone who goes there 
it's not a breeze. They're going to ask you questions. They're going to make you feel uncomfortable. You're going to have to defend yourself. There's going to be some value there. So let's say it's 10 years in the future. I've just finished my Goodman course. I'm getting ready for my boards, and hopefully you've calmed my nerves. What am I walking away with from the course? What, uh, what level of uh, feedback do I get? How comprehensive are my results? So you'll get some feedback for sure from the faculty and, and advice of how to fine-tune your responses, both for content and style. You'll get the fact that you'll have seen 200-plus questions in that three-day um, uh, uh, course. Uh, I always give the example, like when I took it 22-plus years ago, uh, you know, I saw two or three examples of tick uh, during the, the course. I'm, I don't do tick surgery or tick treatment, but I tell you, I felt like an expert after, after hmm. seeing uh, several people uh, defend or, or, or uh, talk about treatment of tick de la Rue. So th those are all the things you'll get from the course. And, of course, a signed copy of your textbook. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> That's great, Alan. This is really helpful. I think uh, my nerves are certainly calm, and I hope many of our listeners getting ready for this uh, will be, uh, will be uh, very happy to hear all this great news from you. So I always like to end this by asking you uh, something that might educate our audience, so like a fact or factoid, something that's interesting, maybe neurosurgically relevant that you could share with the, the, the listeners. About the course or just in no, general? just in general, like about like, oh, peripheral nerve. Well, so you're the peripheral nerve expert, so tell us something that maybe I don't know about in the peripheral nerve system. Well, um, <laughs> I think, you know, peripheral, I like peripheral nerve because it sort of takes you all over the body. You know, it's just not the, the one, one, one place. The problems are certainly uh, interesting and challenging. Um, so... Uh, I, I recommend a healthy uh, dose of peripheral nerve, not only during the course, but, uh, you know, I think it, it, it's a fun aspect of neurosurgery. Awesome. Do you have a favorite peripheral nerve surgery? Um, actually, uh, my favorite is um, probably peripheral nerve tumors. Not, you know, they're re relatively shorter cases as, a, as opposed to doing a, a, you know, an exploration for a, a trauma, which takes longer, and, and people do well, and I would definitely put that one on the top of my list. Great. Great. Well, thank you, Alan. It's been wonderful talking to you, and hopefully we'll have you on a future podcast. Thank you.